As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell, and El Clasico season is upon us. Barcelona will be hosting Real Madrid this weekend. Here to preview that game and talk about a whole bunch of other stuff La Liga-related is our pal Graham Ruffin. Graham, thank you so much for being here. It's good to be on, Taylor. How are you? I'm, I'm doing oh well. Doing oh well. That's my best answer right there. That's a good indicator <laughs> as to how I am, but I am excited for El Clasico. I should say, I apologize for this. If you don't mind, I need to thank a sponsor really quickly. Thank you to the Glasgow City Council. Uh, call them today and they'll <laughs> definitely pick right up. Graham, care to say anything nice about the Glasgow City Council? <laughs> no, I don't have anything nice to say about Glasgow City Council. No, unfortunately not. I wish I did, but... I saw, uh, for listeners who have no idea what's happening, uh, as I was like scrolling uh, Graham's Twitter feed to, to see what he had written recently so I could read it, so I could feel prepared, uh, I came upon a, a two-tweet rant about the Glasgow City Council. Yeah, I don't know if those tweets reflect particularly well on me, but they have pushed <laughs> me to the, to, the, to the brink, you know, and trying to renew my parking permit for, <laughs> for where I live. It's, I not, do. it's not, a true, not a true reflection of my, uh, my temperament, but yes, they have pushed me. I mean, it's fair. I had my my brother's like street won't stop flooding and the city of Richmond has done nothing about it. And I, I had one of those myself. I appreciate any time those little moments of life creep into the the timeline in a way that you cannot prevent. So thank you for sharing your frustrations with that. I think you're probably not the only <laughs> one who has annoyances with municipal government, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about El Clasico and I kind of want to do it in three chunks. I want to talk Barcelona. I want to talk Madrid and then the game itself. And since I began by trolling you, I want to start by giving you credit. When last we spoke, I asked you about Serginho Dest, who then was an Ajax player who was definitely heading to Bayern Munich. You said he was heading to Barcelona. That was your prediction. He got his first start this weekend for Barcelona. So credit to you for predicting where he'd end up and to him for starting. What have you made of his time at Barcelona so far? He's been very impressive, I have to say. He's he's slotted into that team um, pretty seamlessly. I have to say, he's not playing at right back at the moment, which obviously is his um, his natural position, the position that he broke through um, at Ajax in. And he's playing at left back, which almost makes it more impressive that he's doing so well. At Jordi Alba has been injured for for a little while. Um, Barcelona are not really sure about Junior Firpo, and um, in contrast to Junior Firpo, who I suppose 
is comparable in that he's a young player. He's not the finished article. Um, he came into Barcelona last season and was put into that team pretty early in the season and was a rabbit in the headlights and has never really found his groove at Barcelona. And you contrast that to uh, Dest, who's come in, and you wouldn't say his his performances have been the most magnificent, but he's 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 looked completely comfortable, uh, completely adequate, and and has has played pretty well. So I'm I'm looking forward to see how he does when he actually gets a shot at his favourite position on the on the right side. We shall see what happens with that. We'll see if Ronald Koeman plays him there. What has Ronald Koeman been doing to change things up tactically for Barcelona? And which players do you think have benefited the most from those decisions? And maybe which have done the opposite of that? Barcelona are really interesting from a tactical point of view at, at, at the moment. And I would never I would never um, champion myself as, as a great tactician or anything like that. But th- this is this is very... They are interesting right now under Koeman. He's, he's, he's moved them away from the... The four-three-three that, that that Barcelona have have used really going back to the the Pep Guardiola days. I mean, Barcelona haven't changed from that system for you know over a decade really, and he's he's put them into a four-two-three-one, and that has benefited some players, and it's it's benefited it's not benefited mm-hmm. some other players. So the, it is really interesting that the the front line is really obviously where the biggest difference is in midfield Sergio Busquets has got a lot more protection at the moment because Frankie de Jong is playing in, in, in a midfield two, which is I, I, I believe how he played at Ajax and so he's looking much better this season I did predict that I don't think it took a rocket scientist to, to predict that he that in, in this system he would look better so mm-hmm. that midfield two is looking pretty good for Barcelona up up front in an attack, it, th- there are good signs for some players. I mean, Ansu Fati has had an excellent start to the season, three goals in, in three games. Um, they left him out at the weekend against Hitafe, and you could tell that he wasn't in the team. I think that's that's probably a compliment um, to him, to how important he's become to Barcelona. Dembele played on the left side and, and didn't really do the, the same job. Um, Messi is a, is a strange one. He... Is certainly playing within himself at the moment. There's been a, a questions, obviously, after what happened in the summer. He's still there in body. Is he still there in spirit? I think there's maybe a little bit of a uh, an, a question to be answered there. Obviously, doubts over his um, his relationship with Ronald Koeman. There was reports that Koeman had told him told him when he arrived at the club that he wanted him out essentially, or, or actually, sorry, to be a little bit more accurate, that he wasn't going to give him special privileges anymore, and then that kind of forced Messi to to try and push his way out. Um, there, I do think maybe there are some other factors. For instance, Lionel Messi is now 33. He probably hasn't benefited from a lack of pre-season. So I, I think that's that's maybe slightly closer to the, to the truth than Messi doesn't want to be at Barcelona this season. Mm-hmm. We know he maybe doesn't, but I think we'll see him um, come up to speed um, over the next few weeks. But there are questions over his role in the team. He's been playing both up front and on the right. Neither seem to have suited him very well. And then there's uh, Antoine Griezmann, who over the international week was publicly saying, I want to play up front, I want to play through the middle. And so Coleman gave him a shot in that position against Hitafe, and he did diddly squat. Yeah. And Barcelona lost 1-0. So I'm not entirely sure if he's going to be playing in that position Anytime soon, and, and then again, you, you know, then that leads you to well, what is Griezmann's role in this team? You know, if Ansu Fati is the first choice on the left, if he can't play up front, I don't know if Griezmann is particularly uh, suited to the number ten role, which is where Philip Coutinho has been for, been playing early this season, and Messi's on the right. You know, what, what, what what's the role in, in this team for him? So, 
there's a lot that's changed, but for Griezmann, almost nothing has changed. It's the same questions as last season. Why do you think he is such a difficult player to figure out? Like, it seems like Diego Simeone had a good understanding of, of how to play him. Seems like, give him a strike partner. He can work off of them. It'll be fine. But then I think Deschamps try, struggles to try to fit him into the French national team. It seems like Koeman is as well. Certainly other Barcelona managers have struggled with that task. W- where do you think he would, he could best fit? Not even necessarily in a Barcelona system, but like, if you're creating the ideal structure for Antoine Griezmann to score a bunch of goals, what does that team look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one because I think Griezmann has always, you mentioned there, a strike partner. And I, th- I think when Griezmann has played his, his best football, it, it has always been with um, a bit of a battering ram of, of, a, of, a, of a strike partner. You know, I, I think even back to the 2018 World Cup where he was a, a, a key figure for, for France, maybe even their best player in, in the tournament. But I seem to remember France started their tournament against, was it against Australia? That sounds me, yep. Yeah, and they were, and they only won it in the last minute. And and Griezmann was played uh, through the middle yeah. as a lone centre forward and was really poor. And then Olivier Giroud came in for the next game, and all of a sudden everything clicked. And then you think back to his Atleti days, he was playing alongside Diego Costa, who you know is a, is a similar sort of a very a very different type of personality to Olivier Giroud, but in terms of their their playing style, you know, operates in a similar way, occupies a, a similar area of the pitch. So. Uh, Griezmann, I think, has always thrived with a strike partner, but at Barcelona, they're not really going to play a Giroud or or a or a, or a Costa. Certainly not a Costa. I think last season that the hope for Griezmann was that that um, Setien might play two up front with Suarez. That that might have worked, but now obviously Suarez is at Atleti, ironically, um, and I I don't know how that's going to work for Griezmann. Maybe maybe perhaps a front two with. With Messi, perhaps, or, or yeah. Ansu, but but I I just don't see Coman switching away from this four two three one formation at the moment, particularly because he has he has having some success with it despite the defeat at the weekend. There have been some signs that that it's a decent fit. We've talked about Messi's involvement already. I wanted to go back to it for a moment. There was an athletic reader who asked in a mailbag if this is the furthest Barcelona have gotten from uh, Messi dependencia uh, since Neymar and Luis Suarez took their games to another level in late 2015. I wanted to give the full quote there. Uh, and now I'm going to ask you that same thing. Do, do you think this is the, like, the least Messi dependent you've seen a Barcelona team look in a while? Over the the sample size that we've got of right. this season, which yeah. is obviously still quite quite small, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah. I think I, I mean what we're four games into the into the season. Barcelona were really quite impressive in their first two games against um, Villarreal and Celta Vigo. It was, and then even against Sevilla, which they they drew at home. And I know ordinarily that maybe wouldn't be a great result, but Sevilla are really strong at the moment and have started the season pretty well, and 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 so that wasn't a terrible result either. Um, and and all even in those three games, you know, Messi, you wouldn't say those were games that he completely dominated, and 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 the way that he he tends to dominate games. So, yes, I think um, that that's a fair point. Yeah, I think they are probably easing their their, their set themselves off the the the, the depends the the, the dependence. Sorry on, <laughs> yeah. on on Messi, um, but. It, it still feels like if they're going to win Champions League titles and maybe even maybe even La Liga titles, they they, they probably need Messi to 
to be messy again. <laughs> um, moving off the field for a moment, uh, regarding Barcelona's financial situation, you wrote, quote, Barcelona's financial peril has been deepening over a number of years with the global COVID-19 pandemic, leaving them teetering on the brink of a full-blown crisis with a balance sheet that charted losses of 97 million euros for the 2019-2020 economic year. Here's my question. Like, what does a financial crisis at Barcelona look like? Because in my mind, it's like, yeah, all big clubs are losing millions of dollars every single day. We know that. Aren't Barcelona like a little bit too big to fail? They're Barcelona. They're an institution. But that's mostly just me assuming that they will never fail. And, you know, that's kind of how we got to financial crisis in the first place. So (laughs) I'm wondering what that looks like to you or what do you think that plays out as? Yeah, that, uh, that's a good question, and it is almost unfathomable to think that that Barcelona could be in real financial trouble. I, I would maybe bring in my own personal experience as a, as a Scottish football fan here, um, ah. and uh, similar yeah. things were said about uh, a certain Glasgow Rangers, who yeah. are the, the the most successful club in the history of Scottish football, along with Celtic, as I know your as I, I know your listeners will know, are the you know the two giants of Scottish football. And yet, um, that didn't protect them. You know, they 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 suffered administration and liquidation, which is essentially, I believe, in American terms, is bankruptcy. Um, the a, a new new owners were um, you know were brought in. Uh, this is a quite a hot debate, but a, a lot of people say they're a new club um, mm-hmm. legally. That if, I think they are a new club. That 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 brings in a debate over whether a club is the company that owns it. I don't I don't want to get too deep into the Rangers situation, but the 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 <laughs> The point I'm trying to make is that these things can happen. You know, Barcelona are maybe protected a little bit by how they have the socios sort of structure. So they they do have a safety net of members who um, do contribute membership fees, and so that 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 might pro- provide them with a bit of a of a safety net. I've read, but you know, they've they've got a debt of close to I think 500 million euros at the moment. Um, they lost 97 million euros over 2019-20, and that's just the financial year, 2019-20. So there'll be a lot of COVID um, fallout that hasn't been that, that hasn't been counted up yet. So that it seems like those losses are only set to get worse because obviously that, that, that financial year cuts off before you know, the second half of the year. So yeah, they're, they're, they're a pretty bad way. And, and, and in a football sense, it, it could get to the point where they just have to sell players I mean we've already seen that you know uh, the, the whole um, Artur deal to, mm-hmm. to Juventus was manufactured to, to get the balance sheet to, to try and balance the, the, the balance sheet and uh, you know it could get to the point where there's a bit of a fire sale at, at Barcelona um, I don't think that's out, out of the question They're, they are in a bad way po- possibly more than any other major club in Europe at the moment in, in this current climate is that why we saw so many stories about Usman Dembele being on the move in the last transfer window? Or is that just because Usman Dembele has not had the career at Barcelona that people expected? Uh, a little bit of both, but make no mistake, Barcelona were desperate to, to, to get rid of him. And, and that's why they, I think if, my, if Barcelona had um, been open to a loan move, um, Usman Dembele would be a Manchester United player mm-hmm. for this season. Um, they wanted to, a transfer just because they're they're desperate for the money. Of course, the, the the argument there as well. If they're desperate for the for a transfer fee, would they not have been desperate to get rid of his his fairly sizable wages as well, even if it's just for a season, um, perhaps. But um, yeah, I think I think that was definitely a factor in in the the Dembele stories. 
Hey folks, a quick break from me to let you know that this episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh allows you to get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. They are America's number one meal kit. My wife and I are expecting our first child in about a month, and our instructor, our pregnancy instructor, has been telling us that uh, we need to prepare for like a meal train and to have lots of different meals ready. And we want to do that, but we also aren't great with preparation, and we don't want to order a bunch of Grubhub and things like that. But with HelloFresh, you could basically get those meals. This is our plan, to get HelloFresh basically sent right to our door so we can continue to make simple recipes, I think best laid plans, and all that sort of thing. But at least this is what we're going to be going for. HelloFresh offers so many delicious options every week to help you break out of your recipe rut and try new things. There's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and kid-friendly recipes. And they're very user-friendly. You can easily change your delivery days or your food preferences. Skip a week whenever you need. So if maybe the second week into things, we're less inclined to make the HelloFresh meals, we can take a week off. Then we can come back to it. And we really do enjoy it. It allows us to kind of cook together in the kitchen. That's a thing we've done. It allows one of us to supervise the other via a checklist. And you can sort of go through and make sure the recipe is being followed precisely. That's a less fun way to do it, but it does get the meal done. If you would like to see what HelloFresh has to offer, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash ADTSS and use the code ADTSS to get a total of $80 off across five boxes, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash ADTSS and use code ADTSS to get a total of $80 off across five boxes with free shipping. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode and for delivering so many delicious options. Now back to Graham. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It seems like it's a tradition that when you're on our show, it's it's one of the two, Barcelona, Real Madrid, are in trouble. The other one is like looking as good as they ever have. It's a weird reality that Real Madrid themselves not looking as strong to start the season, or at least in my mind to start the season. Then they lose Sergio Ramos in their game this weekend. What's the latest there? How long do you think he'll be out? It's still very cloudy on, on Ramos. I think they're deliberately trying to... Uh, stem the flow of information. Obviously, we'll we'll find out a lot more in the in the Champions League where Real Madrid play in uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. So, if he features in that game or is on the bench, then that's that's probably a good sign for for Saturday's uh, Clasico. It didn't look good, to be honest. He was he was out on, on in the stands with a, a an ice pack on his knee, and and more, there was medical staff around him as well that were giving him some form of of, of treatment. Obviously, Sergio Ramos is is now into well into his thirties, so any kind of knee injury. Is, is is not great to say the least and um, more so for, for, for Real Madrid because that means that it's, it seems likely they're going to have to play uh, Militao and uh, Varane at centre-back who are good players in their own right and whenever one of them is partnered with Ramos they, they seem to do well but it was that pairing that Real Madrid had against Manchester City in the Champions League um, last 16 uh, second leg when Varane had possibly the worst match he's, he's, he's ever had um, in his career, or certainly that I've seen him have. So there, there are questions over that partnership and whether those two players can actually play together. And, and one of the teams that obviously you don't want to play if you've got defensive uh, frailties is, is Barcelona. Um, so yes, that's a big concern and it's, it's dominating a lot of the, 
the coverage in Spain at the moment. I mean, if you go into Marca or, or ask um, and look at the, the stories, it, it's a large part of it is about this injury uh, to Ramos. Which is the, the sort of pro-Barcelona newspaper? Um, so you have uh, Sport in, in Catalonia uh-huh. um, and, and uh, there's another one as well that I've... Uh, uh, Ass is uh, Real Madrid, Marcus yeah. Real Madrid, and there's another one in Catalonia that I've forgotten. But That's the one I can't remember either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's four of them, and I've got three of them in my in my head, and I can't remember the fourth one. But and, yes, sport, sport is definitely a pro Barca paper. Uh, and while I'm going to guess you spend the next couple seconds trying desperately to remember that other one, uh, I'll ask you this, or say this rather: Madrid have started uh, with three wins, one draw, one loss. It's not terrible. It feels a little bit to me like the way there's kind of consistent criticism of Borussia Dortmund under Lucien Favre that they're like they're good, but it's just something feels off. Um, six goals in five games is, I think, the the big thing that I've seen people focusing in on uh, because those aren't very much Real Madrid numbers. I think we expect more goals. What's going on there in your in your perspective, and how much of it do you think rests with the sort of tactical decisions of Zinedine Zidane? I think we're seeing the, the downside of the reliance on, on Karim Benzema. Um, Karim Benzema, of course, had a, an excellent season last year. I think his best goal-scoring season for, for Barcelona, finished second in the, in the Pichichi um, standings behind, uh, behind Messi. But if he has a dip in form or if it just isn't happening for him at the moment, then that, that has a knock-on effect for, for Real Madrid. And, and I think we're seeing that, obviously... They have some injuries, Real Madrid. I think the big one, obviously, is is Hazard, who still hasn't featured this season, and it doesn't seem like he's going to feature anytime soon. That's becoming a big concern for Real Madrid. He, he some real questions are, are are being asked of of him now. I think he was given a bit of a honeymoon period in his in his first season. Now it's his second season. People are really expecting him to kick on, and and that's not happening. Um, and Marco Asensio as well has had. Um, nothing like the injury problems he had last season, but he's been carrying a, a niggle. He did feature at the weekend um, off the bench. I think he came off uh, on the off the bench against Cadiz, and um, yeah, it's it's, it's the, uh, Real Madrid are relying a lot on Vinicius to make things happen at the moment. And I love Vinicius. He's 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 un, he's unpolished. He's he's raw. He makes a lot of bad decisions, and I can see if you're a Real Madrid fan, he would be very frustrating. But at the moment, he's the only player who makes something happen for them. Um, he forces defenders into decisions, and even if he doesn't do the wrong thing, it, uh, sorry, the right thing, it, it creates space for others. Um, it make, as I say, he makes things happen. And um, on the right side, there, it's it's difficult to see what Real Madrid are doing at the moment. Zidane has been using Fede Valverde maybe over the last six months on a, in a right-sided midfield role. I personally think that's a bit of a waste for him. He is a, a brilliant central midfielder who last season was phased in and out of the team with, with Modric to kind of... Um, obviously Modric is, is getting on in his career, so maybe can't play two games in a week. So that was his, his primary purpose in the first half of the season anyway. And then Zidane started kind of messing him around and moving him to the right, and he hasn't quite been the same. His performances haven't haven't been of the the, the, the same high standard. Um, obviously, Bale is at Spurs now, so that maybe the most natural right-sided option that they have is no longer at the club. Rodrigo's been used out there, but he's predominantly a left-sided player. Isco is better on the left, so there, there's definitely a a space on the right side that 
until a, a certain French young forward arrives uh, is vacant. <laughs> <laughs> Who could you possibly be referring to? Uh, I wanted to ask about Aiden Hazard for one more second. It has been so long since he was like the player that we know him to be. I kind of consistently forget he's there. Even like with that last question, when I was looking at their goal scoring options, I was like, oh yeah, they are pretty limited. Like it's Benzema. It's that. Oh right. Hazard is there. Like what is the injury issue? What is keeping him out, uh, long term? Yeah, so he he's had um, I think it's a thigh issue that that that's really been quite persistent. But even when Hazard has been fit, he he hasn't been fit. I think that's one of the biggest problems with 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 Hazard. And what I mean by that is he, it ta- it's taken him a long time to get up to speed, and there's been questions over his over his um, over his actual kind of match sharpness, even when he's back. And there's been questions over his his um, his weight, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, there's there's been there's been a lot of questions over that. But yeah, he, the he moment, and Luke Shaw uh, go to the same dietitian is what you're saying. Yeah, well, it, it seems to be the case. Yeah, and I think Ferguson said about Rooney that it took him about three games to get anywhere close to. I mean, to be honest, I think Eden Hazard would love to be. Uh, I'd love. I think he'd love it for it just to be three games that he needs to get up to speed because it's it's longer than that when he comes back. But yeah. It's, He's had ankle injuries. I'm just look, sorry, looking through his injury yeah. history because there's been so many actually that I, I had to double, I had to think there what he's got at the moment. So right. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a thigh injury he's got at the moment. So I was right on that. But he's he's then had ankle injuries. He had a shoulder injury earlier in the season. Um, another ankle injury. So yeah, that it, it's not going well. And and you consider that Real Madrid paid 100 million euros for him in the final year of his Chelsea contract, and then he played. I think somewhere around about ten La Liga games last season, and this season they could have had him for free. <laughs> you know, it, it, it feels a little bit like a hundred million euros down the drain, given that his his Real Madrid career has has barely even started. So. A fun way to lead into our Classico conversation because it does seem like both teams are sort of trying to figure things out, have injury issues, have star performer issues, have midweek Champions League games. Uh, is there a chance you think that we're going to get a somewhat lackluster El Classico? I, I, I think we will, yeah. <laughs> I, I know this is maybe not the best trailer um, <laughs> to, to, for, to get people to watch. Madrid, Barca, uh, lackluster. Let's do it. Yeah, I, this this fixture, I mean, it's still the biggest fixture in world football, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's, it, 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 there's no doubt about that. But it's definitely lost some of its shine. And I, I think we saw that last season as well, the games between them. I remember at the, at the, at the height of um, the Messi-Ronaldo uh, era, the the games were just absolutely much must watch. Mm-hmm. You couldn't you and 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 also you know you you couldn't take your your eye off them for the full ninety minutes. They were so intense. They were so even when it was decided by one goal or or, or you know it was quite tight. It, it still felt like the most compelling thing in in, in European soccer. And and I, I don't get that sense at the moment. It kind of feels a little bit like just another fixture, and especially. This weekend's game, when there'll be no no fans and 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 stands, you know that 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 sense will will be amplified. Are there any matchups you're particularly looking forward to, or performers you think could kind of rise to the occasion? Um, I'm I'm interested to see whether Coman gives Pedri a chance mm-hmm. at some point. Um, he was I know Barcelona were really poor against Atafi at the weekends and, and 1-0 was kind of a, a reflection of that game. But P- Pedri was given a, a, a chance in the, in the number 10 role 
and was really good, really, really good. Um, better than I think Coutinho has been because Coutinho has played relatively well, but Coutinho's still at his best kind of on the left side or on the left side of a, of a midfield three in a kind of number eight position. Whereas Pedri is a, is a true number 10. And, and there was a real sign of a relationship with Messi there that there hasn't been with Coutinho and certainly not with uh, with Griezmann. So I just wonder whether Coleman... I don't know if... I don't think he'll start. I think he'll probably go with a more experienced head. But I, I, I do wonder if the, if the game is needing someone to break it open, if it's nil-nil in the second half by the time we get to the hour mark. I do wonder if Pedri might come on and that might be the... The, the wild cards um, that, that, that Barcelona might use. I, I think he looks fantastic. And, and this has been the paradox of Barcelona's summer is that there's, you know, I can't remember a more tumultuous summer at, at, at Barcelona or really at any other major European club. And a lot of that, that um, anger and frustration has been about the signings that Barcelona have made and the money that they've spent and wasted. But this summer's business, they, you know, Pedri, um, was signed for a minimal amount from Las Palmas. Sancao's come in from Braga for about 20 million euros. Sergino Dest wasn't a huge a huge fee either. And these are all young, exciting players. And you add them to the core that's already at Barcelona, Ansu Fati, Ricky Pug, uh, Ronald Araujo at centre-back. And, you know, things are quite bright at Barcelona in that sense. So it's, it's, it, there are two sides of the coin with Barcelona. So, yeah, back to, to the question, I think, I think Pedri, I would really like to see how he copes against Real Madrid. And also this might be the perfect chance to introduce him to a classical, given that there's not going to be the, the atmosphere um, that there normally would be. I, If you told me Barcelona are starting a number 10 who's 17 years old, I would have 100% assumed he came through La Masia. I did not realize he came from Las Palmas, which again is kind of like a, a surprise, I guess, that Barcelona are going out and signing 17-year-olds from other clubs and not bringing them through themselves. But... Still exciting that they that they have him in there. If you were leaning one way or the other, wh- which team do you think have the advantage heading into this? I just think I've seen slightly more from Barcelona. Obviously, the two teams come into this game on on the back of defeats, which is I, I don't know if that's ever happened. Well, I'm sure it has happened, but in recent memory, I can't think when that's happened before. Particularly defeats to. Um, I was going to say lowly La Liga teams, but that's maybe doing Hitafe a little bit of a disservice, but certainly teams that, that, that you would expect them to be. Um, but I think I've seen a little bit more from Barcelona this season. Obviously, they're, they're at home. Um, that big pitch at, at the Camp Nou is, is, is suited to their game. Um, and yeah, I just think they've got more players in better form. I just think players like Ansu, Franca de Jong's playing well. Um Dest, I've mentioned him. Mm-hmm. If he starts, he's been doing well. And and Real Madrid, if I'm going through who, who's playing well for them at the moment, I'm struggling a little bit yeah. to be honest. If if any if anyone's playing well for for them right now, Courtois perhaps is playing playing well. But that's not a good sign. Not a good sign for Real Madrid. <laughs> you know, if your goalkeeper's playing yeah. well, uh, is your is your best performer. So yeah, I'm edging towards Barcelona out of the two. Yeah, as a Man United fan, I didn't always love when David De Gea was consistently the best performer. <laughs> I don't really love his form now, but uh, yeah, I don't really enjoy either one of those. The The question then is like, if you have a a slightly weakened Real Madrid, a slightly weakened Barcelona, does that open the door to somebody else, like say Atletico Madrid? It seems like the answer to that is probably not when it comes to Atleti. Uh, I feel like I ask you this 
every single time you're on the show, I'm going to do it again. Uh, Diego Simeone's coaching style, we seem to talk about it every season of, oh, he's going to change it up. He's going to like modernize it, make it more pretty. And then he does not. I wanted to start with the basics. What is his, is it Cholismo? What is the Cholismo mm-hmm. philosophy? Basically, it's an, it's an underdog philosophy. Okay. Cholismo it, it, it encompasses a lot. Um, obviously, it is, um, in terms of the style on the pitch, it's a very conservative style but the thing i would the thing i would maybe um the, the thing that differentiates it from a a, a back to the wall sit deep and absorb and and counter philosophy which is you know is nothing new is that it's it's a very high intensity style of play so even though they are um you know playing in in a, in a line of four and a, in a midfield five that there's a lot of uh, pressing triangles happening and you don't get a minute um on the ball if you're an op- opponent um, but yeah, it's, it's it's largely an underdog um, mentality, which obviously suited Atleti in the early days under Simeone. But even by Simeone's own admission, with with Atleti in a you know a, a multi million pound state of the art stadium, signing hundred thirty million euro uh, teenagers and Yao Felix and spending big, it, it's it's become a little bit more difficult to. To, to keep this underdog mm-hmm. status going because they, they are a, 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 a genuine member of the European elite now, Atletico Madrid. You know, they, they, they can spend, they can outspend it. In fact, I think last summer they did spend more money than, than anyone else in Spain, I think, last summer, and maybe even in Europe. Um, so there's been this big debate about whether, which you referenced there, whether Simeone is going to try and change their style. Last summer he spoke about it quite openly and it didn't really work. And so he went back to kind of what he knew, but in doing that, he kind of eroded the basis of his philosophy. And so Atleti kind of got stuck between two different philosophies, an expansive one that they didn't really know how to, to pull off. And then they'd kind of forgotten a little bit how to, to, to play Chilismo. It was better towards the end of the season. They had a good end of uh, last season, scrambled a, a Champions League finish, uh, a, sorry, Champions League, Champions League spot and actually finished third in La Liga, um, which didn't look like it was going to happen for a long time. This season has been mixed. Um, you know, I think they've got. They've, I think they're unbeaten still. I don't think they've lost. I think off the top of my head, I think they've won two yep. of their four games and drawn the other two. Um, so it's it's been a mixed start to the season. I think the Luis Suarez signing from Barcelona suggests that Simeone is going to lean into what he knows again. Um, that he's not going to change too much. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 sorry, Suarez is what thirty. Four years old, so this feels like a short-term solution for them as well. But um, yeah, Atletico are interesting. I don't see them if there's going to be a team that's going to make the most of, of Barca and Real Madrid's weakness this season. I, I don't think it's going to be them. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up for a minute because, like, when you talk about him, like, when I see these stories of him changing his philosophy and they're going to try new things, I look at Luis Suarez and I look at João Felix and the point we or the conversation we had earlier, it reminds me of Diego Costa and Antoine Griezmann. It feels like a similar dynamic. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but that does seem like a pairing that will work. Do you think it could? Have you liked what you've seen from the two of them with Atleti so far? Yeah, I have actually, and, and you're you're certainly right with that observation. I think that's exactly what Simeone's trying. I think he's he's gone back to that that kind of um, flat's not the right word, but orthodox front two. You know where you, where um, as you say, it was Costa and Griezmann, um, and now he's got uh, Yao Felix and and Suarez, and and they're they're pretty similar. I mean, there are there are some differences, 
Um, Suarez is obviously much more of a, a goal scorer than Costa is maybe more concerned with getting himself into into goal scoring um, positions. Felix is, is it has more tendency to kind of um, to, to go wide maybe than, than than Griezmann did. So there are there are some uh, differences there. But yeah, that's certainly what Simeone is, is is trying. I think that the issue with both players is just consistency. I mean, Suarez and, and Felix are, are are brilliant players in their own right. But last season with Barcelona, Suarez. Um, a little bit similar to Hazard, actually. Just he, he had a few injuries, and even when he was coming back, it took him a little while to get up to speed. He was he's, he's missing more chances. Suarez now um, he's still scoring pretty well. I mean, pretty good figures um, last season. Had a good goal scoring uh, season, but it does feel a little bit like it takes him three chances to score one. And for Atleti, who have always been about taking their chances when they come, that's maybe not a, a great fit. And Felix, he had a, a good um, that, a good mini-tournament in the Champions League, didn't he? When um, when Atleti uh, knocked out Leipzig, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It feels like there's been so much football since yeah. then that I'm, I'm struggling to forget. Um, Liverpool yeah, he, before that too, yeah. Yeah, so he was, he was good in, in, in that. Um, but again, it's just consistency. I mean, he, he there's glimpses of his brilliance, but in terms of comparing him to Griezmann, uh, Griezmann did it pretty much every single game for Atleti, and, and he's just not that figure yet. Question of gen- genuine ignorance. From what you've seen, does Suarez seem like, is he happy to be at Atleti? Because it does not sound like he was particularly happy to leave Barcelona. I don't know if Atleti was like where he was okay with ending up or if that was a place he wanted to be. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you raise that because I, I was... Um, I went looking for a, any kind of Luis Suarez interview um, last week because I, I, I had that question myself. I wanted to find out what, what he's thinking of Simeone's tactics. And, and other than just the odd kind of soundbite after a game where they speak to them, you know, and they, they give them two or three questions after a game, there, there hasn't been anything. And, and look, maybe I'm just reading too much into that. Um, but I feel that's maybe a sign that yeah. he's still coming to terms with the fact that he's, he's at Atletico Madrid now. And that happened very quickly. I mean, it... It, obviously, Coleman uh, coming in, there was a, tur- a short turnaround between last season and this season anyway. By the time Coleman comes in, you know, it's it's quite close to the season. And then he's making a decision that Suarez is leaving. And then they, the process of getting him to Atleti seemed to come around, it come about over a, a single kind of weekend. So it feels like he's not quite accustomed to the fact that he's not a, he's, he's not at Barcelona anymore. Yeah. But I, 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 the, on the flip side, there haven't really been any kind of dissenting noises from him. So I, I, as I say, I might be reading a little bit too much into that. But it was a sort of like surprise arrival, at least in my mind. I'm, uh, from what I read, it was a surprise departure of Thomas Partey. How big of a shock was that for Diego Simeone, do you think? And how has he dealt with that absence? Yeah, massive shock for, for Atleti. He, he's such a, a crucial player, probably the their player of the the season last year. It was a, a pretty mixed season, as I, as I said, for Atleti last last season. But he was he was probably the their the, their best player. The hope at Atleti was right up until deadline day was was they were going to get him to sign a new contract. Um, that's what they thought was going to happen. So they, they there was genuine shock from them. I'm sure you've read some of the the accounts of how uh, how Arsenal actually went to. La Liga's office. I mean, that's what you have to do in Spain to sign a player anyway. Just the way their contracts are, you, the, the the release clause has to be activated at La Liga's uh, headquarters. But normally, you let the club that you're buying the player from know that you're going to do that <laughs> before you actually do it. Before there's an, a, a cash sum arrives in your uh, your your bank account, Arsenal didn't do that with with uh, Atletico Madrid. 
and and the first that Atletico heard was you know when La Liga got in touch with them to say you know Arsenal have signed or paid the release clause of, of Thomas Partey. Um, I don't know what the long term plan was. I I, I I'll, I'll I'll start again. I, I... This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. The Atletico Madrid's wanted Lucas Torreira from Arsenal before they 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 sold Thomas Partey. That deal was in the works for a number of weeks while they were assuming Thomas was going to stay at the club. So I don't I don't know what their plan was for how they were going to fit the two of those players into the same team, whether maybe Torreira was just going to be a depth option behind Thomas. But so far since uh, Thomas has left, no obviously we've only had um well we've only had one game, haven't we, since the yeah. since deadline day. Um, at the week again, at weekend against Celta Vigo, um, and Torreira's kind of just slotted in there as as the the Thomas replacement. He actually did pretty well in, in there, and there were good signs of a a relationship with Koke in there, um, which was was positive. But from Atletico Madrid point of view, you know they've lost Thomas Partey, and the replacement is the guy that Arsenal deemed to be inferior to Thomas Partey. So I don't know how happy they are with that as a, as a long term solution. So based on our conversation so far, it seems like we have Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, all in sort of various states of flux and transition. That does seem like it potentially opens the door for other teams. Uh, I am assuming that the two most likely candidates would be Sevilla and Villarreal. Would you agree with that? Certainly Sevilla. Yeah, Villarreal are, are an interesting one. They've certainly got the the talent, I think, in their, in their squad. They're, they're, they Obviously, they got a good win against Valencia at the weekend. Um there's still a sense that Unai Emery is kind of working out. He's got so many good attacking players all of a sudden that it, 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 he doesn't quite know what his best team is. But yeah, I think certainly in Sevilla's case, um, certainly before the weekend's result, they also had a poor... I don't know what happened in La Liga over the weekend, but they <laughs> lost to Granada as well. Had they not lost that game, I would have I would have been fully on board the, the Sevilla hype train. But um, yeah, I, I, that's the that's been the chat in Spain all over, all across the the early part of the season is, and then there's been a few kind of front pages of the newspapers. Mundo Deportivo is the fourth <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> I knew it was like because I, I kept wanting to say O Globo, but that's I believe Portuguese. I, I knew it was yes, like it's right. a world, it's a globe, it's something relating to a sphere. I know that much. Cool. Yes, it, it's Mundo Deportivo. They're the second pro Barcelona paper. Anyway, there's been a a, a number of. Um, front pages uh, posing the question are Sevilla for real uh, can they win the title I, I, I think they can I mean I think they're as strong now as Atleti were at the start of the season that they won the title mm-hmm. so obviously Atleti became more than some of their parts over the course of the season but in terms of, of, of individual talent yeah there, there's not much difference I think they're missing I kept saying this to you the last time that I was on, and I stand by it. They're missing a goal scorer. Um, mm-hmm. If they had that, they would. I, I almost think if they had a really good goal scorer, they would almost be favourites. I think they're that strong. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, the, the door is certainly open for for another team to 
to at least challenge um, Real Sociedad have had a, a good start to the season um, Odegaard they don't seem to be missing Odegaard much that's been a large part of that down to this signing of uh, David Silva of course they're, they're sitting top of uh, La Liga at the moment with 11 points from 6 games but via Real up there as well so yeah it, it feels like there is an opportunity there if Sevilla, uh, the board, called you today and said, Graham, we heard you on the Total, Total Soccer Show. Great work by you. Uh, who should we target? Who should we go after? Who is the ideal forward for Sevilla, do you think? That's a good question. Um, ben Yedder was, was obviously the, the guy before Luke de Jong um, two seasons ago, and he scored, I think, something like 29 goals. In that season, it, to be honest, if, if I was Monchi, who's obviously the, the kind of transfer guru um, at Sevilla, I, I, I think I would be trying to get Ben Yedder back. I don't know how feasible that is. I, I think he's done reasonably well at Monaco. Excuse my ignorance there a little bit. on, on But I don't think he is ripping up any trees. I don't think Monaco or, you know, they're nowhere close to, you know, challenging. Yeah. They've had, had it pretty tough. So... If that opportunity was there, I think this team is still built for for even though Lopetegui has uh, has um, changed Sevilla quite drastically in terms of uh, they still play with a, a lone centre forward. Um, ben Yedder, excuse my uh, lack of imagination, but no. that, that's just the, that's the name. I, I think if they could somehow get him back, that would be that would turn them into real contenders in my eyes. As long as I'm excusing your lack of imagination, I hope you'll excuse mine for a somewhat lazy question. But Sevilla are once again back in the Champions League. They're in a group with Chelsea, Rennes, and Krasnodar. Uh, I think, I'm just being silly, but th- I do think this group makes it very difficult for them to win the Europa League again. Because uh, I, <laughs> I see a reality in which they pretty easily get out of it. Uh, how far do you think they could go in the Champions League? And I, and I guess follow-up question to that would be, how dependent is that on figuring out that striker situation? Never, never underestimate Sevilla's uh, capacity for winning the Europa League. <laughs> That's all I'd say. You know, I've been there before. Oh, this season they're not winning the Europa League. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, they are. Um, no, I mean, as as on the basis of the evidence we have now, they they should make it. As you say, they should make it out of that group. Um, I'm I'm really high on Sevilla at the moment. I think they're a really good team. Um, I think they showed that in the Super Cup against Barcelona. Eh, not Barcelona, sorry, uh, Bayern Munich. Um, where they obviously took them to to extra time. Bayern Munich, of course, who blew away the rest of the competition in, in the Champions League just uh, a few weeks before, and Sevilla gave them a real test. And and the thing about Sevilla is they're not going to get they're not going to get beaten very often. You know, they, they they don't lose many games. I appreciate the uh, unfortunate timing of saying something like that just after they've lost to Granada, <laughs> but it's a, it's been a strange start to the season. I mean, you've seen how many goals there have yeah. been in the Premier League. <laughs> I do know, have one more it, question it, about that strange start in a moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I, they don't lose many games. They showed that at Camp Nou, and obviously in a, in a tournament like the Champions League, especially once you get to the knockout rounds where, you know, teams that don't lose rather than teams that are really good at winning games convincingly, if you get what I mean, mm-hmm. they tend to go quite far in knockout uh, competitions where obviously you have away legs and, and you know it's important not to lose those games. So um, I think Sevilla, in a strange sort of way, their lack of a striker it doesn't concern me as much in the Champions League as it does in La Liga because in La Liga, you, you know, it's over 38 games. You're going to have games where you need a guy just to, to pick up two goals in a, in a game that you're not really, you haven't played that well in. In the Champions League, it's obviously... 
um, you know, short, shorter bursts and aggregate scores. And so you, you can make the games a little bit tighter and, and, and maybe scrape through that way. Um, but yeah, I think Sevilla look like, uh, I mean, for, for me, Sevilla are not far off. Um, I mean, if you consider Bayern Munich and Liverpool to be kind of top tier teams, I think they're in that second tier at the moment, Sevilla. Uh, so I've only asked you about, I think, four teams in La Liga, maybe five. Um, what else or what are some other stories you think like that have caught your attention or maybe we should be paying attention to? Are there other sort of big narratives that I might have missed? Well, I mean, Cadiz at the weekend going to, to Real Madrid and, and getting a win that that wasn't a fluke in any way. I mean, they, they, they really played very well in that game. And obviously with that win, they're up to... Uh, excuse me, I'm just checking. Fifth, yeah, they're, uh, they're up to fifth. Yeah, so that, I mean, that is they, they, last season. It was Granada that did this, um, and they showed no fear against Real Madrid at the weekend. They played two up front. Alvaro Negredo is there, and he was he was really good. He he played a, a lot of knockdowns down to uh, Lozano, who scored the the winning goal, and there was just a fearlessness to them that you sometimes get with uh, with promoted teams. I don't think they're going to stay as high as fifth, but it's 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 good to see another small team doing well in Spanish football because there was a period for the, for a few years um, not so long ago where we had uh, Girona and Ibar who are, who are tiny teams, both of them uh, absolutely tiny teams doing really well in, in La Liga and they've kind of fallen away now um, and so it's, it's good to see another very small team do well mm-hmm. and, and, and they're also good to watch. I mean, at the weekend they, they played some really nice stuff and it got to about the the 35th minute mark against Real Madrid at the weekend. And I thought to myself, they, they, they have been quite, by some distance, the better team here against Real Madrid. And, and that's saying something. So that's the team that at the moment, if they're on mm-hmm. the TV and I've not got anything else to watch, I'll, I'll stick them on and, and, and watch Cadiz, the, the, the pretty good team. I know you've got uh, places to be. My final question for you, as I said uh, earlier, it's or as you said earlier, I agreed with. It's a weird start to the season. In England, we have Everton top, Villa second, Spain at Sociedad top, Villarreal second, Milan top in Italy with Sassuolo second, Lille top in France. Which of those is most surprising to you? Which one do you have a hardest time believing is reality? Of the of the leagues that you you yeah. just mentioned, um. Serie A is Sassuolo at the top of the league at the moment <laughs> Milan and then Sassuolo yeah oh right okay Milan right okay I suppose Milan oh yeah they've won 4-4 four four, haven't they they've yeah. had a great start to the season I guess maybe Lille in, yeah. in, in Ligue 1 just given that PSG, PSG you know yeah. basically yeah turn up in their loafers every week in <laughs> Ligue 1 and, and win that league no disrespect to Ligue 1 but <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I guess that's surprising. I don't think there's any disrespect when, yeah, that is the the common consensus. Maybe not the loafers part, although I think that would make for an interesting game. But for now, Graham, uh, I know Air you got Jordan this to loafers, be. I think PSG wear. What'd you say? Air Jordan loafers. I go. think that's what <laughs> PSG wear. <laughs> that is frighteningly accurate and feels like it could be a reality. Graham, if that does happen, we'll be, have you, we'll be sure to have you back on to uh, discuss it. But for now, thank you very much for taking all the time to talk La Liga and El Clasico with me. Thanks, Taylor. Anytime. Anytime.